What does it mean to you to be wise? Are you consumed with yourself or do you let go? And when you're compassionate, what does that feel like? Are you expecting something in return, even if it's just that feel-good feeling? Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Mary Slocum, and today we're exploring the two wings of mindfulness, wisdom or clear seeing, and compassion. Just as a bird needs two wings to fly, mindfulness needs both wisdom and compassion. I hope you enjoy the show and will follow or subscribe where you listen, download it, share it with friends, and please write us a review. Your Mindful Life Podcast. Wisdom or clear seeing and compassion are intricately interconnected in the state of mindfulness. The awareness of our moment-to-moment experience with intention and curiosity and without judgment. It is a remembering of who we really are and how we are interconnected and loving. Clear seeing and compassion Let mindfulness take wing in the world and carry us through experience just as birds take wing and carry themselves through the sky. So what is clear seeing or wisdom? And what is compassion? Clear seeing is seeing the truth of three things, impermanence, no self, and suffering. When we see clearly, we see the world as it is, and we understand how to be in the world in a true and clear way, free of delusion. When the mind sees clearly, it is not deluded, confused, scattered, or cloudy. Impermanence refers to the truth that everything is changing all the time. It may appear that something is not changing because it's changing very slowly, but it is changing. We see change in nature. Nature has the cycle of birth, growth, and death. Seeds sprout in the spring, grow into maturity in the summer, and wither and die in the fall. Even rivers change. One year, my favorite river will throw a large sandy beach close to where I can easily walk to it, and the next year, there is only a dangerously steep embankment. Nature is not a solid thing. Everything moves and changes continuously, including us. We are not solid things. We feel the same, and yet when we look in the mirror, we see someone looking back at us who looks very different from the teenager or young adult or the career person that we have been. Sometimes things change in the flash of an eye. 
One minute we're driving down the road, and the next we awake in a hospital bed, our car having been hit by another. Often, impermanence has a way of hiding until suddenly it's in our face. Most of us welcome its hiding and help it along. We don't want to see the change. We strive for stability. We strive to achieve something solid. We strive to obtain something that is lasting. But the stability, achievement, and lasting thing is already changing and slipping away. Like the news streaming in front of us, events are continuously changing. It is curious that even when we're in dire circumstances, we have the tendency to believe that nothing will change. But it does. Nothing stays the same. When we accept that impermanence is just the way things are, when we know that everything will change, it's freeing. Storms come and we can be with them because we know that this too will pass. Clear seeing also means to see the truth of no self. When we say no self, it can be jarring because our I identity becomes afraid that we're trying to get rid of it. On the contrary. What is happening is that we think we're a solid thing, a self with stable characteristics and control inside and out, but this self is simply a construct of mind. We see this when we look at old photos. There's an old photo of me when I was three years old, sitting with my brothers and sister, who was just a few months old. I love to look at that little girl with braids. It's me, and it's not me. There is no solid me. The arms, the legs, the hair, the face, and what I thought and what I understood, everything has changed. You might be saying that's only natural, and of course it is, but we forget and go back to clinging to some notion of who we are. We think that we're running the show, that there's a central eye in control of and managing our thoughts, actions, and speech, and all aspects of the body and mind. And yet, if we are in control, how is it that we can't control thoughts arising? Have you ever tried the experiment of telling yourself, I'm not going to think about this, and then realize that the task is impossible, that you end up thinking of nothing but the very thing that you don't want to think about? And even when you say, I'm not going to think about this, You're already thinking about it. The reality is that we have many component parts that are useful, valuable, complementary, and cooperative. They work together in our living, even though there is no central actor pulling the strings. We have a body, and we can point and name the body parts and know their functions and how they work together. We have feeling tone. We can immediately distinguish experience that is arising as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither nor, simply neutral. We have perception. The eyes see using light. The nose smells using odor receptors. 
The tongue tastes using taste buds. The ears hear using sound waves. The skin touches using touch receptors. We have mental formations, including thoughts and concepts, even if we can't pinpoint where and how these arise. Finally, we have consciousness that is aware of all of the component parts and is aware of external and internal worlds and even is aware of awareness itself. And all of this works together, even though we're not in control. Our I identity is a valuable component part with which we interact in the world, but it is not all of us. We don't want to throw out our I identity any more than we want it running the whole show, because when we cling to the I identity, we suffer. Once we feel at home with this truth, we experience freedom because the I, me, my, mine can drop away, allowing the possibilities and freedom of clear seeing to abound. Clear seeing is being clear about suffering. Suffering is a strong word. There is suffering in the world. And suffering shows up in many ways as pain, discontent, unease, dissatisfaction, and distress. But we don't need to suffer. We can see that it is here and we can choose not to suffer. Not suffering requires us to understand impermanence and no-self and to understand how craving, clinging, and aversion among other mind states tie us to suffering. When we are seeing clearly, it is because we have let go of the craving, clinging, aversion, and delusion that tie us to suffering in all its forms. Together, the truth of impermanence, suffering, and no self allow us to see clearly, and we call these the first wing of mindfulness. But mindfulness cannot fly on its own with only wisdom or clear seeing. It needs another wing. It is intricately entwined with compassion. Compassion rests on equanimity, that is, the state of balance that sees the whole picture and that is non-judging. Compassion is intricately connected to doing no harm to ourselves, others, the plants and animals, the world in which we live. We are part of a greater whole, and each of us is interdependent and connected to the whole. When we accept our interconnection rather than separateness, we see how compassion is deeply connected to clear seeing. So what is compassion? Compassion is seeing suffering, having the desire to alleviate it and its causes, and having the motivation to act to relieve it without expecting anything in return. Compassion is not passive, it has intention and action. 
While natural feelings of empathy or sadness may arise when we see someone suffering, compassion does not require these feelings. These feelings can make us lose our balance and take us out of equanimity, resulting in burnout because we are taking on the suffering rather than allowing it to flow through us without attaching to it. Compassion appears in situations where we don't expect or recognize it because of our conditioning. When we send a person who has murdered another person to prison, this is a compassionate act. It recognizes that the person who committed the crime is also suffering and will continue to suffer if allowed to remain free because that person will continue to harm others and by harming others, harms themselves. Notice how this understanding is different from that of sending a person to prison so that the person pays society back for his misdeeds. There is no payback, retribution, or resentment in compassion because there is no expectation of anything in return. There is only action to alleviate suffering. I remember the mother whose son was shot and killed by another boy. She said, I forgive him and he must go to prison. She is being compassionate to herself by letting go of the horrific act, and she is compassionate to the boy who killed her son by keeping him from committing another hideous crime. Compassion asks us to step back and take in the whole picture in a non-emotional and non-judgmental way. Compassion asks us to act not from what we think or know, but from what is needed to alleviate suffering. If we don't do this, we might mistakenly believe that our act alleviates suffering when it doesn't. Compassion asks us to continuously ask, what is my intention? Is it more about me and what I think, or is it about observing and listening to ferret out what can I do to alleviate the suffering of others without expecting anything in return? Compassion can be difficult. Recently, Tracy Kidder has written an article in the New York Times about caring for the homeless through a doctor's journey over decades, working with Boston's homeless population. It brings out the humanity of people sleeping on park benches and on the streets, under bridges, and in makeshift shelters, how caring people often misread what is really needed, and how nurses and doctors learn compassion by the act of caring for these people. As a young physician, Dr. Jim O'Connell learns that the way to help is not to rush in with a stethoscope in hand, but to kneel down and soak the feet of the person in front of him in a tub of betadine and listen. He learns that by really looking at the feet, you can tell a lot about what is going on for someone. And by alleviating the pain in their feet, and by simply being with the person that you bring comfort, this is compassion. 
In another situation, O'Connell tells of a man with schizophrenia who is living under a Storrow Drive bridge. I know that drive, and I can viscerally feel the hardship of sleeping under one of its many bridges in Boston's long, cold, windy, wet, and snowy winters. O'Connell, wanting to alleviate the man's suffering, tells him to come to the Pine Street shelter, but the man demurs, telling O'Connell that outside he knows the voices he hears are his and he can control them somewhat. But inside a crowded shelter, the cacophony is too much. Which voices are his and which are not? Compassion says alleviate suffering, but often we miss what might actually help because we're not seeing clearly. We are coming from our learning, our conditioning, our perspective, rather than what is here in front of us and what the other knows. One of Dr. Jim's mentors, nurse Barbara McGinnis, reminds him, you just have to do your work. This is compassion, doing our work without any expectation of a solution or receiving anything in return. It's human to want to solve problems, and it makes us feel good, And this good feeling is our return, but in compassion, we expect nothing in return. This ties compassion firmly back to clear seeing. It is not about us and our feeling good. It recognizes that everything changes all the time and that there is suffering in the world and that our compassionate work makes a difference in the world because we're all interconnected. We are not other or separate. Dr. Jim O'Connell is a compassionate person who learns compassion by listening and healing the feet of the people in front of him. People like Jim show all of us the way to the two wings of mindfulness. This week, I invite you to contemplate compassion in your life. Is it active or does it feel too hard or too remote? And when you do do a compassionate act, what is your intention? Is it about your feeling good or simply alleviating the suffering in the world? I am grateful you're listening, and I'm grateful for the people behind the scenes who make this podcast possible. Gorgias Romero for original music, audio engineering, and production. Bill Rafferty for technical web support. Ali Allen for logo and podcast cover design. And Margaret Haas for announcing the show. Be well. Be mindful. Be mindful.